Welcome to Wildlife Outdoors with your host, Russell and Jose. If you have a passion for conservation of the outdoors, or you're enjoying a calming hike in the mountains, an exhilarating kayak trip on the river, feeling a fish on the end of your line, cooking on an open flame in a primitive campsite, or stalking big game just waiting for the perfect shot, you're in the right place. So put on your boots and polarized sunglasses and come along for the ride. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Today we have a special guest, somebody that we have actually known for years. And uh, he's an avid outdoorsman. He loves bow hunting. He loves his elk, loves traveling, spends a lot of time outside of the state of Texas, although he still lives there. And uh, his name is John Martin. So you want to introduce yourself? What's going on, guys? Happy to be here. Thankful to be on the podcast. Looking forward to a good convo. It's going to be a good one for sure. So, uh, me and Jose had talked about, you know, you previously in, in one of the episodes about your success with elk and pronghorn in Colorado. So is Colorado some like a place that you go all the time or is that just more of a recent thing or, uh, so I, it started out as a business thing. Um, I own a business that operates in several States. Uh, we're primarily in Colorado and Texas. So I was there a lot. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends that were there. Um, and Colorado is probably the most accessible state to hunt for out-of-state hunters in terms of Western states for, yep. In terms of elk, pronghorn, bears, mule deer, that kind of stuff out of all the states, it's probably the most accessible. Um, that being said, that's where the most people go. So it gets a lot of pressure. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, I'm able to go hunt elk, bears, pronghorn, whatever, pretty much every year there. Whereas states like Utah and Arizona, I might have to wait 10 or 15 years as an out-of-state resident to draw a tag. Um, because Colorado I offers see. Colorado offers over-the-counter archery tags for pronghorn and elk. So I can just go buy a tag every year and hunt kind of the lesser quality units as much as I want. Mm-hmm. Which... I don't really have a problem. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. And, and people get really, um, they get caught up in like, Oh, I need to draw a tag for this specific unit. That's going to take 17 years to draw. And I'm like, yeah, it's a good area. Mm -hmm. And you're probably going to see some good animals. But if you just work, you can go into these, you know, I'm I'm not going to say shitty units, but these lesser quality units that are harder to hunt and kill Mm -hmm. the same animal and not wait 17 years. And I just tell people, I'm like, what right. are you doing? Like, go hunt. You're going to have way more fun going to hunt every year than you are once every 15 years. True, true. You know, and um, I, 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 I try to get as many people as I know that say they want to go do it to at least go try. And I'll, I'll help. You know, I'll be like, hey, try this unit. Try this mountain. Take water. You know, yeah. I'll help. But well, people people like they talk about wanting to go do it, but they don't always, always want to go do it. You know, I see talk a big game, but don't actually want to get out there and do it. Kind of like me. <laughs> well, or, or they only want to go do it. If I'm like, yeah, okay, here's an onyx pin of exactly where a bull is on Tuesday at 8 AM. <laughs> then they want to go do it. Right. But I'm like, I'm like, I can't give every single person a spot. Cause then you're going to take 70 other people. And then there's going to be no out for any of y'all. Right. So I, you know, I have to kind of pick and choose, the information I give out because if I, if I say too much, then there's going to be a bunch of people all in one spot or something like that. Yeah. Then it just blows it up. Exactly. But I try to help as many people as I can to get out there and do it. That's awesome. So do you mainly do over the counter tags or have you been drawn for anything up there? Um, so 
the mule deer tags are draw only in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can't just buy an over the counter tag for archery or rifle. Um, you have to draw it, but the units that I like to hunt for mule deer are typically a one year draw max, like a two or three year draw. I see. So pretty much I've, I've drawn a mule deer tag every other year for the last six or seven years. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to fill, fill every mule deer tag I've ever, I've ever drawn. Um, just because it's not, it's not that difficult. If you can shoot, it's not that difficult. Um, and you're willing to hike a little bit, you know. Right. Um, getting off the road is important. But uh, um, when it comes to the elk and the pronghorn, all but one of those tags has been an over-the-counter tag. Really? Um, I did draw, I did draw one elk tag, and that was this year's tag. Um, but it's a one-point draw, so you can draw it every year. I see. So it's not even really uh, a draw tag. It's just anybody that wants to hunt that unit can apply for it and draw that tag. I see. Um, the state of Colorado did that this year to try to cut down a little bit on the traffic in the unit because it was just getting pounded by people. I mean, people from Wisconsin and Minnesota and Texas and Louisiana. and there was, I mean, it was all over the country it, because it's an easier unit to hunt in terms of terrain. I see. You don't have mm -hmm. to go up to 12,000 feet or whatever. And so a lot of the old guys that want to drive around in a truck and look for elk can do it in that unit because they don't have to get out and hike a bunch. Yeah. But most of them don't kill any elk because they don't get out and hike a bunch. So <laughs> it's kind of a catch-22 a little bit. So, so um, when you say hike, how many miles like would you expect to put on like boots on the ground in a given day or in a, an extended trip to, you know, just to see elk? Um. I mean, I'll say that typically, so I, I have a hunting partner that I hunt primarily with. Uh, we hunt all over the world together. We hunt elk all season together. He's the guy that I do most of my stuff with. Um, when we're out hunting on a trip uh, for elk in Colorado, our average is probably seven to eight miles a day on the ground, um, which sounds like a lot, but that's over like 14 hours. So, you know, you're, you're only moving around like maybe half a mile to a mile an hour. I you know, see. it's not like you're moving a whole lot. And a lot of that is just trying to locate the elk. Because mm -hmm. once once we've got the elk located, we're we're moving a mile in the whole day. We're just getting the thermals right and the wind right and just moving around and make sure we don't blow them off the mountain. But typically, we're averaging like seven to eight miles a day. Um, our biggest day, we did 23 miles oh, wow. in one day. Holy cow. Um, which was a rough day. <laughs> that was a rough day. <laughs> uh, we basically... Left camp at like 3.30 in the morning. We went five miles up this mountain, got to the spot we wanted to hunt at first light. As first light got there, there was mule deer hunters on the ridge that we were hoping the elk were going to cross. So that's kind of mountain etiquette. People are there first. That's their spot. We went all the way back down the mountain. So that was 10 miles. Drove basically a few miles to get to this other mountain that we like to hunt. Went three miles up that got to the top of that and we're sitting there on a ridge waiting for the thermals to change. Cause if the thermals aren't right, you can't move into the elk's bedding area. Um, and we're sitting up there waiting and a buddy of ours who's in his seventies is way down in the flat hunting elk with a muzzleloader. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he shoots a bull and he's like nine miles from the truck. Oh, and uh, he's like 75 years old. And he's like, uh, any chance you guys are close to come uh, help me get this bull out? And we look at each other and we're like, yeah, we'll be there in a couple hours. So we go 
all the way back down the mountain, drive over to the closest parking lot to him, which is still five miles from where he killed the bull, walk all the way out to him, get his bull all finished up, pack his whole bull out. It was, it was a long day. It st- we finished a about 21 hour day or so. Crazy. Well, give, dude, shout out to that guy, man. Hunting at elk at 75 years old in the mountains. That's badass. His name's his name's Ronnie Salami. That's his nickname <laughs> that we call him. Um, yeah, his, his name's his name's Ronnie. Uh, he's from Indiana. Uh, he's a good buddy of ours, and he's been coming out there for years. And I would say in the last six years, he's come out four times and he's killed three bulls. Oh wow! So Holy he's God. done pretty well. Um, granted, we're setting him up for success a little bit because he the, the, there's a one week muzzleloader season during the archery season. Mm-hmm. Um, Colorado's kind of weird that way. And uh, we basically hike him into a spot and go sit right here with your muzzleloader. The elk are going to cross right there. And if he just sits there all day for a couple of days, he'll get a shot. <laughs> but still, there's not a lot of 75 year olds that are getting out there and, and doing it. And he's, he's pretty tough, man. Um, yeah. A couple, a couple years ago, we were taking him out on uh, mules because he couldn't walk that far. And uh, the mule saw a buffalo and the mule freaked out. And so he freaked out and he fell off the mule and he actually punctured his lung and we didn't oh, know shit. that he punctured his lung. And he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. We're going hunting. And we're like, okay. And so me and him are going to go sit at his spot. I'm going to sit with him while he shoots his bull. And the other two guys go seven miles away and we're sitting there and he's just coughing up a lung. And I'm like, are you all right? Like, do we need to get you out of here? Cause He's like, no, no, I'm fine. And after like four hours of this, I'm like, mm, we're going to have to get you to a hospital. And I mean, we walked out in the dark and we got him to the hospital. And she's like, how long has he been like this? And I'm like, since like eight o'clock this morning. And the nurse is like, yeah, he could have died. And I'm like, <laughs> Ronnie's like, I'm fine. We're going hunting tomorrow. And I'm like, mm, <laughs> we're not going hunting tomorrow, but <laughs> He's a tough old dude, man. He's, he's a nice guy. I'd say so. Tough as nails. My goodness, built different back then. Heck yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's freaking and he, awesome. And he still insists on packing out a quarter of his elk with us every year. He won't. He won't slack. He'll put a hundred pounds on his back and carry it out. He'll walk. You know the speed. The speed of smell, but he'll get it out. <laughs> My man, damn Ronnie. Shout out to you, dude. Right? That's freaking mm-hmm. awesome. So when you say miles, are you speaking uh, as what a pacer would would say is miles so it's uh, accounting for elevation or is that mileage as the eagle flies um it's uh the tracker on it's a tracker on my onyx okay. so it's taking into account elevation and that kind of stuff okay cool. um it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that far if it was just like as the eagle flies mm-hmm. you know but we're we're going a thousand feet up 500 feet down yeah. 600 feet up over here 500 feet down so it's taking all that into account okay cool yeah that's i was about to say i was like if he can go five miles as the eagle flies at 75 like that's freaking insane yeah no that's a lot for me it'd be it'd be rough that'd <laughs> <laughs> be rough um he he's hunting where he hunts primarily that we take him into it's kind of a desert flat area mm-hmm. kind of below below the mountains and yeah. the elk are down there they get down there in the flats and it's a big kind of like six foot tall desert brush country. Um, and we put, we put them on water holes and stuff and it's very successful. I mean, guys kill bulls like that every year. It's just not as much fun because we like to call them in, you know, it's cool when you get to call them in and get them close, but for muzzleloader hunt, 
what I would do for him. Right. That's awesome. I was watching a video uh, a couple of days ago about some elk hunts in uh, Arizona, and it seemed like it was pretty much flatland brush country and stuff like that. Yeah, I've got and I've got buddies that are down there in Arizona hunting right now. Um, and that's primarily how they hunt. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating on it. Like if that was the terrain I had to hunt and that's all I could do. Yeah. I'd be sitting on water holes with my bow too. Yeah. And I'd shoot the bull when he came in to get water cause he's going to do it every day. Right. But I, you know, that's also the way everybody hunts pronghorn. That's not how I hunt pronghorn. Um, everybody sets up pop-up blinds on water holes and just waits for the pronghorn to come in. They shoot him when they come to get water, which is super effective. Yeah. And if I didn't have the ability to go kill him another way, I would hunt him that way too. But I like to decoy them in. Mm-hmm. We take big pronghorn decoys and get out, get out in the fields and crawl around and make the bucks mad and get them to run up to you and shoot them. And you know, it's just more fun. Right. I get bored sitting up by. I start playing games on my phone and I don't pay attention. Then I fall asleep. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> you can't do it. That's why I missed the dove that flew in last time when I was dove hunting. So <laughs> yeah, I just I can't do it. Like I can't sit still all day. I, you know, I, kudos to the guys that do. I I can't do it. I'll I'll fall asleep or I'll do something dumb. I'll start shooting at birds with my bow or something, waste hundred dollar arrows. I don't know. Usually it's when you're not paying attention, the big one comes. So maybe it's a good thing. You're not chilling in the blind. I know. Right. <laughs> um, man, this, this year's, it was rough. I mean, we, it was like storming, lightning, thunderstorm, raining. It was cold. It was windy all day long. We were walking around and we saw no L no nothing. I mean, it was just, the whole day we're both like, should we just go home? Like, should we just go back to the camp? Like, what are we doing? Like, why are we out here right now? There's not going to be any help. And then at like 5 PM, we're on this random Ridge, like less than a mile from the truck, which is super close to the truck for us. And a bull answers us at like 400 yards. And we're just like, now of all, <laughs> of all times today and all places, whatever. Now he's just going to answer right here. And literally within three minutes of the first bugle we got we killed him really? you know i mean it wow. was just like bam bam no and that was the first bugle we had heard all season because they weren't they were they're not rutting yet. they weren't fired up yet so literally we heard one bugle the whole hunt called him in and killed him and that was it that's awesome so, that's insane was, did he come in hot and heavy or no they were all coming in quiet because they're not rutting yet yeah. um they're just now starting to get where they're kind of talking and wanting to fight he came to want to fight but he, he had a few cows with him and he was basically above us on the next little bench. And he answered us cause we, we, we sounded off a bugle. He answered us, but he, a bull elk is never going to come down the hill mm-hmm. to fight you because they've got the high ground, you know, like in star Wars, yeah. the <laughs> bull elk's going to never come down a hill to fight you. He's always going to take the high ground. He's going to make you come up to him. 99% of the time, somebody's going to chime in and go well, one time. And I'm like, yeah, one time somewhere one did, but yeah. they're not going to most of the time. Right. And so we, but the, our wind was wrong because our wind's blowing at night in the evening. It's going up the hill. Right. So we had to go back around and get on the same level as him. And then we bugled again and he bugled further away because he was pushing his cows up the hill away from us. Mm-hmm. Cause he's going, Hey, these are my bitches. I'm going over here you stay over there. Don't come in near my women. It's basically what he's saying to us because yeah. he thinks we're another bull. Uh-huh. Right. And we're going, we're not even talking to him. We're talking to the girls because think about like in humans, how mad would you get if some dude's talking to your girl and you're telling him, Hey, leave my girl alone. He's just ignoring you and just keeps talking to your girl. Yeah. It's going to piss you off. Right. 
Well, it's the same with the elk. You don't really talk to the bull. You talk to his cows if he's got cows because that's what's going to make him mad. Yeah. And so when he answered us going away from us up the hill, we just ran like 60 yards closer to him and then bugled right at his cows again. And he turned around and goes, oh, that bull just came 60 yards closer. Now he's coming for my cows. So he turned around and left his cows and came 80 yards back across the ridge down the hill looking to fight because now he wants to fight yeah. basically just to make me go away mm-hmm. so he can go back to his cows. And unfortunately for him, when he came down the ridge, my, my hunting partner was standing there with the call and the decoy because we use a cow elk, uh, rear end of a cow elk decoy. Uh-huh. Um, so they have something, vi- so they have something visual when they're coming in and I was already sitting there at full draw. So he just came around the tree and stood there and looked at me and game over. I mean, he was at, I think he was at 38 yards, which is, pretty much a chip shot right. if he's standing still. So, um, yeah, and he just ran 40 yards, fell over. Um, he was actually alive for like two minutes, which I was going, trying to figure out what was going on because I heart punched him. Yeah. And so he shouldn't have been alive that long. I mean, if there's a picture of the heart yeah, it's all with that. a perfect little triangle going through it, you know, he shouldn't have been alive for more than 10 seconds, but he, he lived for like two minutes over there before he finally died. But we knew, we knew that, because he fell in the first 15 seconds that he wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, but, and then once we walked up to him, we actually called in another bull (laughs) right up to us, you know, uh, another bull that had come in quiet because they will come in quiet. They won't make any noise. I'll just come to Uh you. And we were standing over there looking at the elk and we look up and another bull is walking right to us to, you know, he sees us and looks at us and we, my, uh, my hunting partner hadn't brought his bow that day because we kind of alternate on a, you're a shooter, I'm shooter. Yeah type of thing like switch off uh-huh. days or whatever and he had already shot a bull a couple days before that so it was my turn to shoot so he was just caller so he left his bow because why carry it if you're not going to shoot anything right. but in retrospect we probably should have brought that other bow but it's, it is what it is yeah he was whispering to me he's like just shoot it i'll tag it and i'm like nah <laughs> we don't we don't need that we don't need that bad we don't need that bad juju right now right. <laughs> so um but yeah, it was, it was good. It was, uh, kind of miserable getting him out cause it was raining and cold and not, not fun, but in, in a way, but it is still as fun. I yeah. mean, it's still an experience, but dude, that's freaking awesome, man. So that, that, so I have a question about that. So after you down them, mm-hmm. how much work, like how, like how many trips does it take to get all that meat off the mountain? Well, it kind of depends. Um, I mean, it's a ton of work. Like people, every like first time elk hunters when they do kill an elk, are just like they stand there wide eyed for a minute because you just don't realize how big they are until you stand right next to them. I mean, it's you're shooting a horse with antlers, basically. I mean, it's that big, you know. And like the bull, not the bull this year. The bull this year was like a five year old bull, not a super super mature bull. He's not a super young bull, but. He's kind of just a mediocre sized bull. Mm-hmm. The bull I killed last year was like a nine year old bull, and he weighed seven hundred and forty pounds oh, on the hoof. So, you know, at that point, we we had him quartered up in probably two hours, um, and and by that I mean you, we we have each each of the four quarters. Then we have the two rib rolls, the two back straps, the two neck loins. Um, there's, there's a bunch of neck meat on the side and then you've got the head and the cape. Uh, all of that's going to weigh about 520 pounds, 530 pounds typically. Um, if we have to, like if we have to, and we're going downhill, 
my my hunting partner and I could get a bow off. We've got a bow in one trip before, but we each carried about 220 pounds. Yeah, and yeah. that was super rough, and that was going downhill the whole way, and that was because we had to. Um, mm. Typically, we can get them out in two trips. We'll we'll just take two trips in, two trips out, and get them out, and we're each basically carrying 100 pounds each time, give or take. Yeah. On top of our pack, that's going to have thirty to forty pounds, roughly. Um, it sounds like a lot, but with these packs these days and the way they distribute weight on your body and all that, it's not horrible. I mean, if you're super out of shape, then yeah, it's going to suck. But if you're in at least a little bit of good shape and you've got a good pack, you know, you, you can carry it out. It's not it's not the worst. Um, but it but. It is, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. You have to want it. You right. have to actually enjoy doing it because other, you know, I know people that have gone and killed one elk and they went never again. <laughs> that was fun, but never again. And I'm like, I get it. Like, I'm not mad at you. You know, like you also got to like sleeping out there in the rain and missing, you know, football season and all that stuff. If you really right, want, you know, right. see, that's one thing I've always wondered is like how the logistics of it are because, it's a massive freaking animal. And a lot of the times to get to them, you have to be miles away from trails and trucks and stuff like that. And I know, mm-hmm. I don't remember. I, I want to say it was one of the, the YouTube videos I was watching where in Arizona, I believe it was that you can go like a mile into the property or something like that uh, with a Can-Am or some type of mule or something like that motorized to get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but no mm-hmm. more than that. And it's only to recover game. And I was just like thinking, well, hell, if you're like eight miles in and you can only go one mile, if it allows the terrain wise, I'm like, that's still quite a bit mm-hmm. of a hike <laughs> with hundreds of pounds yeah. of meat. Oh, you're, I mean, and if you're talking two trips, you're talking 16 miles back and forth each way. So you're talking 32 miles just to get that bowl out. That's crazy. And you have to that's... do it in a day and a half because your meat's going to spoil. Yeah. You know? It's archery season is, it's going to be 70 degrees during the day for the most part. So you're like, once you kill a ball, it's like, well, for the next 24 to 48 hours, we're, we're working, yeah. take some caffeine tabs and some ibuprofen. Um, every once in a while you get lucky and you kill one real close to the road. Yeah. Um, this, this year I, uh, that bull I killed, we had parked the truck and gone like a mile and a half around, um, up this Ridge. And when I killed him, we were sitting there looking at the map and my hunting partner looks at me and goes, is there a road on the other side of that hill right there? And I went, nah, we've been up here a bunch of times. There's not a road over there. And I pull up Onyx and I'm like, Onyx says there's a road right there. <laughs> walked 400, walked 400 yards to the top of the hill. There was a road. That's so, nice. <laughs> literally, literally went and got the truck, drove the truck on a, on a paved road, drove the truck 400 yards from the bull pack out. Took maybe seven minutes. It was a great time. That's awesome. Wow. And, uh, I'll, I'll never get to do that again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, that'll probably never happen for me again. Every other bull I've ever killed has been six, seven, eight, nine miles out um, from, from the truck, but I'll cherish that one and be happy about it. Right. Right. And then and with it being inclement weather, like maybe they're just giving you one. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, it was like, it was day 12 straight. I'd hunted all day, every day for 12 days. Um, which is I do every year. I, I hunt every day of the season until I kill one every year. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I killed one three years ago. I killed one on the second day of the season. Last year, I killed one on the 30th day of the season. Oh, <laughs> and this year, I killed one on the 12th day of the season. So I take what I get. But um, maybe I was getting something from the elk gods for <laughs> just we 
seven, eight miles a day for 12 days at that point. We were almost a hundred miles in at that point. It was getting rough. That's but, freaking crazy. Um, but it's super fun, man. So tell us about that 30 day trip. That was a grind. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to give up so many times during that month. Cause I mean, I spent, I probably took two days off. I'll be honest. I probably took two days off during the month where like, I was like, I just can't do it today. Yeah. Like I'm just the elk win today. <laughs> but, uh, that was last year. Um, I hunted barring those two days. I hunted every day of the 30 day season. Um, I got really, really close the first week. Uh, my hunting partner was hunting in Alaska for the first like two weeks of the season. Uh-huh. Um, he got invited on a caribou, a caribou hunt. So I was hunting solo and I got really close to killing a giant bull the first week. Um, he winded me at 40 yards got it happened yeah. um and then didn't really get any close shots for the next two weeks and then my hunting partner came back into town and then we had a couple buddies coming to town so i was helping them hunt and then it was like the last three days of the season and we hunted really hard and it came down to the last afternoon i mean it was like two o'clock in the afternoon we were at the truck and i was like mm, should we go hunting and we got like six hours left of the season my buddy's like, yeah, let's go. Let's try to get you a bull. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's go somewhere. And I pull up Onyx and I'm like, how about right there? That looks like where an elk would be. So we drive the truck, we park it, we walk a mile and a half, two miles in, let out a bugle. He answers. It's like 6 PM on the last day of hunting. We kill the bull at like 6:15. legal shooting light ends at like seven. And that was the last of the season. So I killed a bull literally with like 30 minutes to spare after the whole month. That's freaking uh, crazy. It was rough. <laughs> Down to the And that wire. was just lucky, you know? That was just me getting, like, just happened to be in the right spot at the right time yeah. um, and getting lucky. Uh, it very easily could have not happened, but that was my biggest bull I've ever killed was that one. Um, he's currently in the kitchen. How much did he weigh? He was pretty close to 800. Um, I didn't get a final bone in weight on him because we left, we left a bunch of stuff out. We, we got all the meat, but we left a bunch of stuff down there, but, um, he was pretty close to 800. I got 486 pounds of meat off of him. Um, just meat. So, cause that was the, that was the weight at the processor. So he was, and he was, if, if you just look at, uh, I'll send you guys pictures of me next to him versus me next to the bull this Mm -hmm. year. And you'll see a noticeable size difference. I mean, the bull this year wasn't small, but. When I'm next to him, it's like, whoa, like he's, and that's just what a mature bull, you know, looks like is they're just, they're just massive. Yeah. And once you get up close to them, you're like, it's crazy, you know, cause I, from, from a distance, I'm like, oh, they're just like a big deer. Yeah. And then I get up close to them and I'm like, nah, they're, they're not. That's kind of how I <laughs> felt about moose. It's like, yeah, they're just like, you know, yeah. a big deer like animal. And then you see when you're like, holy shit, you're taller than the truck is. <laughs> Oh yeah. We're, we're actually doing an Alaskan moose hunt next year. Nice. Uh, we've already got it all, all planned out and tags and all that good stuff. We're gonna go archery on it. And, um, that's, that's one of my dream hunts is I want to shoot a grizzly bear and a moose with a bow. That would so be awesome. We're, I've got tags. I've got tags for both next year. So I'm going to try to do it and not get eaten by the grizzly bear. Yeah. Let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> that, I, that would be, my, yeah, that, that would be ideal. <laughs> But I mean, if I do, if I do get eaten by a grizzly bear, I'll have a great story. So, you know, right. Well, well, somebody else will have a great story. What do you mean? You wouldn't, somebody <laughs> else will have a great story about it. I, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, that somebody will at least film it if, if I'm getting eaten or something, you know? Right. Damn. Yeah. I have an uncle up there cause I'm from Alaska originally and I have an uncle up there. Uh, he's my mm-hmm. uncle Tim and, uh, he used to do a lot of moose hunting with the bow 
And it's, I mean, some of the stories that he has are freaking crazy, dude. Like, I mean, the first time I ever saw a moose, I think I was probably, I don't know, maybe 15, 16. And I was up there with, and me and my little sister wanted to get closer to a moose, take a picture of it. And we were down by a car hiding. And, and it was like, it, it had come around where the road is and in through the fence. And we're on the other side of the car. And of course, you know, my father's out there getting pissed off. He's like, y'all are going to get killed by this moose. And this thing is just freaking <laughs> massive. Because my my entire family's out there and they grew up right. up there. And of course, I grew up in Texas. And so I didn't know any better. And uh, yeah, that thing was just freaking massive. I was like, I didn't realize they were this big. And it wasn't even a massive moose. I, if I'm not mistaken, it was just a cow. Right. She was just kind of moseying on and just freaking huge. And then thinking about my uncle saying They're that he had to come up and literally smell the tip of his arrow before, I'd shit myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We've, I mean, we, we, we catch them in Colorado fairly frequently up on the mountain. We'll run into really? them on the mountain. Um, yeah, there's a few of them. Um, some people don't even know that, but they're, they're up there. Just Colorado only gives a couple tags for mm-hmm. them. So you have like a one in whatever thousand chance right. to get it. Um, unless you've got like 30 years of drawing points yeah. and then you can get it. But um, we've run into several. Um, like if I ever draw a bull moose tag, I know right where to go to go kill one. So <laughs> That's freaking nice. awesome. In, in Colorado, but yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to draw that tag. So it is what it is. Dude, so can you recall your first hunting trip in Colorado? Like, what was that like for you? Like, just going going in total greenhorn, not really knowing what to do. Like, how was that? Oh, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. <laughs> it, was, it was the worst. I mean, I mean, I loved it. Don't be wrong. It was. It was. It, it from that trip on, I was like, I'm doing this every year. But it was a disaster. Um, we had. Do you guys know Royce McCabe? Yeah. Uh, he went to high school with mm-hmm. us. Okay. So oh, yeah. Royce, so Royce and I, um, were going, we decided we were like, we're going to go archery elk hunting. And we didn't know a whole lot. Right. Um, we just got on Google and whatever and figured out like, Oh, there's this place that's like eight miles in and there's people say there's elk in there. And that didn't compute that like, Oh, we have to go to 13,000 feet and walk eight miles with a pack. Cause you know, we, we were novice hunters. Yeah. We were like, Oh, we can walk over there and go kill an elk. <laughs> and so we were getting, we're getting this trip planned out. And both of us were at, at that point still avid outdoorsmen. We still went deer hunting and fishing and did all the stuff. We had just never been on a trip like that. Yeah. Right. Where we were camping in the mountains and doing that kind of stuff. And we underestimated what the altitude does. We underestimated how hard it is to find water. Um, on top of that, we had a couple buddies of ours who were younger than us, who were um, teenagers, basically, um, said, we really want to go. And we were kind of like, well, do we, I mean, they were, they were 18, 19, 20 years old. They weren't kids, but we were kind of like, well, do we take these kids? Do we not take them? Yeah. You know, like we're going to be the, we're going to be the adults here if we, if we go. And we were like, you know what? You guys can come. We'll tell you what to do. We'll tell you what gear to bring. That being said, like, this is also like our first time really doing this. So we're not going to babysit you. You know, you guys have to kind of be able to handle your own stuff and do your own thing, but we will kind of help out and coordinate. Right. And so we get in there and we, we basically get the first seven miles in, which is way too far for somebody that hasn't done this before to do it. Um, I would never recommend somebody that's never done this before to go where we went or to go that far in. Um, but we did cause we're stupid. And, uh, 
we get to this ridge, we're at like 13,000 feet and this big valley goes one way and then this other big valley goes this other way off this ridge. And we're like, okay, you guys go hunt that area. We'll go hunt this area. We'll meet back up here in three days. One day later at like two o'clock in the morning, we get a distress call from these two guys. And uh, it's like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning and Royce and I's phone both starts blowing up and our Onyx and our GPS, you know, start blowing up. We roll over and look at it and they're like out of water at the bottom of a canyon. We've got, we're dehydrated. We can't move. We're, we blah, blah, blah. We need to get care flighted out, all this stuff. And we're like, all right. So we pack up camp at the middle of the night, put on our back. We hike, we're like four miles from them. Mm -hmm. So we hike about four miles to them. We find them about seven o'clock in the morning and they're in the bottom of this rocky ravine canyon and they're so dehydrated that they can't even stand up or talk. Really? I mean, they're, they're, they're in bad shape because they, they, they didn't fill up a bunch of water before they dropped into there thinking, Oh, there's going to be water down there. Mm -hmm. And then there wasn't water down there. And then they got dehydrated and they sat down and then they got so dehydrated that they just couldn't do anything. Wow. And so they were in bad shape and there was no way we could carry them out of there because we're a thousand feet in elevation in the bottom of this ravine. So you have to go a thousand feet up to 13,000 feet to get, to where we could even get them out of there to go around or do anything. Yeah. And so I said, what do you guys want to do? And they're like, get us care flighted out. So we go up to the top of this, <laughs> the top of the mountain called flight for life, which is hel the helicopter, mm -hmm. um, which is a service that runs in Colorado and other Western States where they come rescue hunters and mountain bikers and skiers and whatever. Yeah. And it takes them a few hours to get there. They eventually get there. They take paramedics down the mountain get them IVs in the bottom of this Canyon, bring them up on stretchers, get them on the helicopter. I've got a video of all, of all this, the helicopters uh, landed and flying away. Um, and eventually flies into the hospital. Um, they're fine. They get IVs and they're fine. Mm -hmm. um, they each had to pay $17,000 no for their helicopter oh, ride. So, you know, if you're going to call them, you hope it's, you better need it because right. it's going to be pricey. Um, you know, there is insurance that you can buy that's like 25 bucks a month mm -hmm. that basically if you ever need to call them, it's free because you paid for the insurance. Yeah. Um, and I, I have that because I know that at some point somewhere I will break a leg or I will break an arm or I'll something will happen yeah. and I'll need some kind of emergency services. Yeah. But um, that was our first trip and we didn't know any of that. So <laughs> it was a very uh, <laughs> luckily nobody got hurt. Um, in, in the end, no, everybody was fine. Um, we didn't kill any elk. We got nowhere close to an elk. Um, and, uh, it took about four years of spending at least 10 to 15 days of the season in Colorado hunting elk before I even got an opportunity to shoot an elk. Really? I mean, it was that tough for me. I know guys that have gone out their first year and done it, mm -hmm. but for me, there was a huge learning curve. I thought it was super difficult. Um, but it also like really enjoyed the process of like figuring it out yeah. because it is like, like it's definitely a huge learning curve and a huge, like it's all sorts of stuff. Like I didn't know anything about thermals. I didn't have to play the wind. Like I didn't know any of this stuff going into it, but now this is my, this was my eighth year and my eighth year in, like now I like understand the game and I understand how the elk work for the most part and everything like that. And I can pretty consistently kill elk now, yeah. but I went 
four years of killing nothing before I figured it out. So, and I, and I tell yeah. people like I've got buddies that, that that go one year or two years and they don't kill one and they just don't want to go anymore. They give up. And I'm like, like, you gotta, you gotta keep after it. Cause it takes a while to figure it out. Yeah. So that one year that like everything just started clicking for you, like, all right, man, this is, mm-hmm. this is the year. Like I'm feeling pretty good. And you actually had your first opportunity. Do you remember that, that, like that moment? They're like, Oh shit moment where this is about <laughs> to go down. Well, are you, are you saying the first time I killed one or the first time I got an opportunity? Cause I, I didn't kill uh, it the first one. I got an opportunity. Uh, both. Okay. Both. Well, so I'm an idiot on the first opportunity. I, it was the dumbest thing in the world. Um, and all my hunting buddies that I hunt with elk with still make fun of me for this. Um, my first opportunity I ever got to shoot at an elk or where I should have shot at the elk. Uh, I should say we were out in that deserty area hunting elk during the muzzleloader season. So the archery season is the first through the 30th usually, or the second through the 30th. Mm-hmm. It kind of varies. And there's a one week muzzleloader season in the middle of that, mm-hmm. but you can still archery hunt your archery tag while the muzzleloader season is going on. So I was out there archery hunting and a buddy of mine and my hunting partner were muzzleloader hunting. And we had this herd of like 300 elk at like 700 yards, 600 yards. And I was on one side of them and my buddy and, the, and with his muzzleloader guy were on the other side of them. And we're, I'm crawling around the desert trying to get close to these elk. And it's impossible because there's cows everywhere that are busting you and everything's running around. And uh, they, I hear the muzzleloaders go off and they immediately text me and say, just shot a bull, nice bull. And I'm like, awesome. Fuck yeah. You know? And so I'm laying there under a tree and, and I'm watching these elk way out in the, that are six or 700 yards out walking around. I see big old bulls walking around and they're like, go after those elk. Like we already pushed them. We already scared them. We just shot. So try to get as close as you can to them. If you bust them. Oh, well, yeah. we got it. We got a, one other bull. that's already dead that we got to take care of. So I, I'm on my hands and knees and I'm crawling to these elk. And I'm like 200 yards from him, and I come around this bush, and the biggest bull elk I've ever seen in my life is laying on the ground. And I'm like, and my first thought is, oh, I just, I just crawled up to the bull they shot, yeah, because he's just laying there on the ground. And I, so I'm like looking at him, and I'm, I'm like, fuck yeah, they killed a nice bull. Way to go, guys. And I stand up, and when I stand up, the bull goes, oh no, and picked up his head, looked at me, <laughs> and I'm like. I'm just, I mean, like, I'm probably at 20 feet from this bull elk. It's still to this day the biggest bull elk I have been close to by far. And I've been close to some big bulls. This bull was massive. And he's just, he's, he's sitting there and he stands up. He's standing there at 20 feet just looking at me because he doesn't know what I am. And it's not the bull they shot. It's just another bull that was just bedded down, taking a nap in the desert. And I, and like trying to pull an arrow out of my quiver without moving. And I pull an arrow out and I get it knocked, but I'm looking at the bull, not at my, not at my bow. Uh-huh. And my arrow oh, falls no. in between the, in between the rest and the bow, mm-hmm. not in the rest. So I go to draw on the bull and it gets stuck. And I'm standing there with this <sighs> massive bull at 20 feet and I can't pull the bow back. And the bull just stands there for like 10 seconds looking at me and then just takes off running and my buddy is like a hundred yards behind me watching with binoculars. <laughs> and he goes, I get over to him. He's like, what the hell, man? Like, what did you, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> and so still to this day, that was, that was my year three uh, that that happened. 
Um, still to this day, I get made fun of constantly <laughs> in camp about this uh, because it was it was an eight by seven, just a huge bull, Damn. and um, it got killed. Actually, I um, actually know the guy that killed that bull um, later that year in the rifle season, and it was pretty bull. I got to go put my hands on him, so that was cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was my first opportunity. Uh, lesson learned: when there's a big bull on the ground right there in front of you go ahead and put an arrow in it. Yeah. Worst case scenario, it's already dead. <laughs> and your buddy just yells at you for putting a hole in his meat, right, you know, right. but tip of the tip of the day in, in the situation, I was just like, Oh, it's gotta be the bull. They just shot. Cause they literally just shot a bull right there yeah. 30 seconds ago or a minute ago, you know? And I was like, Oh, this is him. And my bad. Um, the first opportunity I got to shoot at an elk, uh, I'll be honest, was not the first elk I killed. I wounded a really nice bull um, year four mm-hmm. that we never found. Um, he actually lived and another guy that we know killed him about a month later, but the first opportunity I had to kill a shoot at a bull, we were, we were way in there. We were probably eight miles in there. Um, and my hunting partner is super experienced hunting elk. He's older than me. He's killed big bulls all over the world. Um, he's just amazing elk caller. Um, and we get about noon, about noon, we get to this little ridge and we're on one side of the ridge and he goes, all right, take a nap for about an hour, about one o'clock. The thermals are going to change. We're going to pop right over the top of this ridge. We're going to call down to the valley on the other side. Bull's going to answer us. He's going to walk right up to us. We're going to shoot him. I'm like, haha, very funny. You know, whatever. Take a nap. Hour later, one o'clock. He's like, all right, it's one o'clock. Come shoot a bull. Okay. Wake up, go to the top of the ridge, which is like 20 yards above us. Pop on the other side. He bugles. Literally bull answers 300 yards below us. He goes, all right, get ready. I look down and a big old five point bull. I've actually got it on video um, comes walking up the hill to us. And Royce is actually with me. He's the cameraman on that hunt and he's right behind me. And the bull kind of comes up and then turns and he's coming to the side of us. And he's only at like 25 yards. Um, but he stops behind these two trees and I'm at full draw and I can't let down and I can't move because he's right there. He knows we're right there. Yeah. And so for like two minutes and 20 seconds, I'm at full draw and my arms shaking and I can barely hold the bow back. It's a, it's a mess. And then finally he comes around the tree, but I have to move. So I take like two steps and I'm barely leaning around this tree and he's quartered at us. And it was the first time I'd ever had a chance to shoot at a bull. And I took a shot that I should not have taken. And I hit him right on the point of the shoulder because he's quartered mm-hmm. at us. And I got about, five inches of penetration, six inches of penetration on him. Mm-hmm. And he ran out there to about 90 yards with the arrow snapped off, stood there for mm, 10 minutes and then he just walks off. And we followed blood for a hundred yards, just dripping blood and then never found him. And we went in there a couple more days after that and never found him. And then our buddy in the first rifle season went in there and killed him and sent us a picture of him. He had a bo- arrow wound on his shoulder and all that. It was, and we looked at the video and it's the same bull. Um, and I was heartbroken. Like when I say <laughs> I was heartbroken, like I have never been more sad about anything in my whole life. Like I don't care about the ex-girlfriends that broke up with me. None of that. I was more sad about when we didn't find that bull because it was like the culmination of like four years of just like grinding it out. I finally got a shot and I screwed it up, you know, and I was just, I was super upset about it and it was just like something you have to go through. Yeah. You know, you have to like, all right, got to keep trying. And, uh, then the next year we went out on the second day of the season, went into this little Canyon, r- ripped a bugle, 
five bulls answered us within the first 15 seconds. Oh, wow. And we had three bulls, three bulls come inside 100 yards in the first five minutes. And one of the bulls came up to 11 yards and I shot him. And he ran like 20 yards and died. So it was kind of like a surreal, like, oh, it's that easy, <laughs> which it hasn't been that, it hasn't, been, it hasn't been that easy the last five years, you know, like what, why? Um, but, but it, now I understand that it was because I finally understood where the elk are going to live, how they're going to move, yeah. how the wind is going to affect them, how the thermals are going to affect them. Like I, without knowing it, I had learned how to hunt them. Yeah. And then now I'm more conscious of like, oh, these are the things to do. And if you do these things consistently, more often than not, you'll get a, you'll get an opportunity. And that's why since that time I've been able to pretty consistently get opportunities at them. I see. Um, but it took a long time without, without getting any shots at them yeah. to do that. So you basically <laughs> learned by full immersion. Yeah. So you went, you know, all season, yeah. every, mm. every year brought prior to that. So, and, and made every mistake you can possibly make. <laughs> like, like you name it, like, I've, I, I've made the mistake of like, I've approached the bull wrong. I've made the wrong call. I've dropped the decoy. Like I've, I've had, I've knocked a broken arrow on accident and then realized it when I was already drawing the bow, like you name it, I've done it. <laughs> and you found, but you know, you learn like, Oh, like now I always remember to look at the arrow before yeah. I knock it. Or I always remember to look at the rest to make sure the arrows on the rest or, you know, whatever it is, like you learn, but it was a, it was a learning experience to do it. So you got a mental checklist now that you go through everything before you, <laughs> or you yeah. get the opportunity to take a shot. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I really do now. You know, now it's, you know, line, line up the bubble, make sure you check your yardage, make sure your camera's on, you know, because I like to film everything. Yeah. And, you know, I go through the list in my head. Um, but we also have a rule. We don't shoot at bulls over 30 yards. Yeah. Um, mm. And I know guys that shoot bulls at 90 yards with their bow every year. Um, and I, I'm capable of doing it. I mean, I, I can put a target out there and I, I can put three arrows in a softball at 90 yards with my bow. But in terms of just odds for there to be a mistake or the elk to move six inches or move a shoulder or whatever, it's just so high that I just, I, I can't ethically bring myself to do yeah. it. Um, I've done it on pronghorn. I've done it on whitetail. I've done it on pigs. Um, they're not the size of an elk and they're not near as strong as an elk mm -hmm. and they're not as resilient as an elk. So, um, I actually broke my golden rule this year and I got a big lecture for it <laughs> from my hunting partner because <laughs> that, that bull I shot this year was at 38 yards when I shot him. Yeah. But I just, mm -hmm. I, I felt really good. I was really comfortable. He was perfectly still broadside. I was perfectly like everything felt really good mm -hmm. and I took the shot, but later on, I got about a five minute lecture about, Hey, you know, we don't do that. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> You're right. I know. I was excited, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but at least, at least it didn't turn bad. So no, yeah, no. I mean, sure. it's, I, I would have felt horrible if it did. Right. Cause I've, I've been there. Right. And it's not a fun time. Yeah. So you said you, uh, bow hunt pigs. I know that Jose is hopefully planning a trip. I think he said next year, maybe this year to go bow hunt some pigs. You have any tips for him? I mean, where, where are you going to hunt them? I mean, are you hunting over a feeder or what's, what's the plan? So my, I mean, I don't have, I don't really have a place to hunt. So there's some places near um, where I live that are public lands and it's, and there's, um, there's a spot that's archery only. So I want to try and hit that up and try and figure out how to get on some pigs and the, doing the whole public land deal um, for, because I've never done it. I, well, one, I've never shot a, a pig 
using bow. Um, and I've never – the only thing I've hunted on public lands here in Texas have been dove and duck. So this is going to be a whole another ball game for me too. So uh, currently like still, still trying to get my bow tuned up, get everything set in, make sure everything's good to go. And then, uh, and yeah, man, hoping to hit it within the next month once I finish up field season. So we'll see. Are you able to are you able to debate at all on the public land out there? I'm not familiar with public land rules over there. So it changes from unit to unit. It just depends. On this particular one, you can, but you can't do it until April. From April to August is when you can bait. Okay. So I've got a, a mixture that's pretty killer that if you make it, uh, you sh- and there's pigs in the area, you should get them in there. Um, take a five-gallon bucket, fill it about halfway with corn, like just dry corn, um, and then pour three beers in it, pour a gallon of water in it, uh, a, a whole half gallon of big red, and then like four packs of Kool-Aid. And then one of those little bottles of uh, vanilla extract or fake vanilla extract and put it all in there, stir it all up, put the lid on it and put it out in the sun for like a week. Whenever you get ready to go hunt, just find, find, find somewhere where you've seen pig sign and put it out. And within a day they'll be on it and they'll eat it. And if you want to keep them there for a little bit longer, um, take a post hole digger with you, just a hand post hole digger and dig it mm-hmm. three feet deep in the ground and fill the hole up. And then they'll stay, they'll stay at that spot or in that area for two weeks trying to dig it up and they'll dig it up and dig it up and dig it up. But I mean, if you're, are you, do you ever come to Kyle? Are you ever around? Cause oh, yeah. I go there like probably I, every other weekend. Cause I've got a tree stand here at the house and there's like 30 pigs at the feeder every night. So if you want to just shoot one, you can just sit in my tree stand and shoot one. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm shooting Don't them like, every, time, John. no, I mean, you're, you're welcome <laughs> to man. I mean, I, I shoot them literally almost every day. I shoot one from the house. Um, cause I, I, they run my deer off. So every, every day from the house at some point, uh, or actually at, at, at night, I've got a thermal setup. So I, I've got a cell camera on my feeder that's right over here by the house. And I just, when I wake up and, from bed in the middle of the night and I see the pigs are there, I just open the door and I shoot one with the thermal from the back door and I go back to sleep. And then the next day I get up and go drag it off or whatever. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, Nick, if you're in Kyle, um, I'll just let me know when you're going to be in Kyle and I'll let you know if I've got pigs coming in regularly, which they're pretty much regular. But if I shoot one, they stay away for a week or two, then they come back or whatever. But um, you're welcome to shoot one out of the tree stand. It's like a 17 yard shot. So it's pretty, pretty easy. To be honest, dude, um, thank you, man. I appreciate that. That'd there's nothing. Awesome. There's there's nothing really big in there. There's not any like really any big boars that I've seen. But oh, I, don't, I don't. I don't care about that. <laughs> I just want to try it. Um, I I just got into archery like I don't know, man, maybe three years or so ago. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I love it. I love shooting a bow. And um, I've I've only ever harvested whitetail. Um, my first no no. Yeah, not that long after I got into it. And then since then, it's just I've just been busy with school and stuff. Haven't touched my bow in a long time, so just trying to get back at it. But, yeah, man, I'll be down. If, if, if that's cool with you, dude, I'll take you up on that. That'd be sick. Yeah, I mean, and there's – I mean, I'm, I'm not really going to be here a whole lot, but when I am here, I'll definitely let you know. Um, and if, if it's during deer season, you're welcome to shoot a deer there too. I mean, there's – any given day, there's 25, 30 deer at the feeder right now, so – you know, if you, want to shoot a, if you want to shoot a deer, shoot one. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, I don't have any, there's not going to be any big deer. Uh, not that I've seen over here, but you're welcome to whatever walks in. Um, Heck yeah, man. I've been, I appreciate that. I, I've shot everything from that stand right there in the last couple of months. I shot a bobcat from it. I shot a coyote from it, shot pigs from it. Like 
Yeah. You never know what's going to walk in right there. Um, cause that big ranch backs up to my house. Yeah. There's several yeah. thousand acres right there behind my house. So I get all sorts of critters coming into the feeder right there in the yard all the time. Is there still a bad coyote problem That's out wild. there? I know when I lived over in the area, there was quite a few coyotes we'd hear you up in at night. Uh, I mean, they're still here. I've, I've been whacking them pretty good. Um, <laughs> the neighbors sometimes don't like it, but <laughs> I've, uh, I've been knocking them down pretty good. I've killed 13 here at the house since I moved in. Nice. Nice. So Holy I just, cow. I, I turn the predator call on on the back fence and sit on the back porch with the thermal at two o'clock in the morning and let him come up to the fence and then just shoot him. Efficient. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. Let's be honest. That's what I do. I mean, yeah. you know, I'll be honest. There ain't nothing wrong with that. It's pretty easy. I've been trying to get the mountain lion because there's a mountain lion that lives in this ranch right back here. Uh-huh. Um, and my dad, really? my dad, my dad's seen him twice in the last couple of years. I've yet to see him, but he lives in this ranch right behind the house here. And I'm, I'm going to call him in one day. I keep trying. I haven't done it, but I'm going to do it. I've heard of people because I have a buddy Dude, that used to go so up. Cool, uh, so there's that low water crossing uh, a few miles upstream from Five Mile Dam. And I have a buddy that used to go down to that low water mm-hmm. crossing, put in his canoe that he had a trolling motor on and go you know, upstream on that. And he said that he saw one up there. Mm-hmm. And I just thought he was full of shit. I mean, I've seen mountain lions out in Wimberley and Dripping Springs. And I've seen them. Hell, I remember one time mm-hmm. we were at uh, Zilker Park. And over at the Botanical Gardens, I swear I saw one off in the woods behind mm-hmm. it. So I know they're in the area, but I was just like, hey, oh, they're, they're here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, people, I, I've had knockdown drag out arguments with people that say they're not here. And I'm like, oh, mountain lions are here. Yep. They're right here in Central Texas around us. I promise you they're here. And I know because I shot at one and missed one last year. Really? I mean, and it, it was a really tough shot. I was out thermal hunting coyotes mm-hmm. in the middle of the night on some properties. I've got permission. I've got... Uh, I'm very lucky I got permission on a bunch of places out in Lockhart, mm-hmm. um, Caldwell County, um, for a bunch of cattle ranchers. So I do their predator management for a bunch of the cattle ranches out yeah. there. Um, and so during my off season, I go and thermal hunt coyotes and bobcats and whatever. Um, and I was, I was, I thought it was a bobcat and it was way off in the woods and I was calling it in. I was sitting there and I, I couldn't see it anymore. And then I, I saw it like a hundred yards coming to me and I was like, Oh, that's a mountain lion. And I got set up and I couldn't see him anymore. And then he, all of a sudden I look out and he's on a dead run away from me through the woods at like 250 yards. Oh, yeah. And I took a shot at him just cause I'm going to try it, right. you know, but I, I didn't hit him. Um, and the landowner had said, told me, he's like every couple of years I get a mountain lion here on my deer cameras. So he's around and I'm like, he was here yesterday, but I missed. Damn. So, my brother has a horse that got attacked here or where where at? he was over at a, uh, well, he was at Pace Bend Park over on Lake Travis and uh, they were out there mm-hmm. camping and he heard all this commotion middle of the night, goes out with this pistol and the freaking mountain lions on the back quarters of his horse, just digging into it, holding on to it. Yeah. And yep. uh horse, no horse was way. able to kick it off and it ran off in the woods and he went and he took a picture of the paw print in the mud and it was as wide as a freaking dollar bill it is long. I mean, it was yep. just freaking massive. I was like, mm-hmm. damn. That's a big cat. <laughs> and I've got a mountain lion tag for Colorado this year. So come January, we're going to be doing some mountain lion hunting. See what we can do. Um, a buddy of mine's got a bunch of the hound dogs that run that uh-huh. run them and was invited me to invited me to do it. So I was like, heck yeah, man, I'll buy the tag. That's so awesome. We'll see. Um, I The thing is, is I, I don't want to be vain, but like I'm only going to shoot a, a mountain lion if it's a really big male. Yeah. Because I want a mountain lion. Yeah. I, I want a full body mm-hmm. mountain lion mount for the house. And I think they're super cool creatures, right? Yeah. I think they're super awesome. Oh yeah. So if I'm going to shoot one, it's going to be a big one because I'm going to get it mounted. I'm going to pay the $3,000 to get it mounted. So I'm going to be super picky, 
this year. And if we don't treat a really big male, then I'm just not going to shoot one. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. I've always wanted wanted to uh, try yeah, mountain lion or bear or anything like that. I've actually heard that uh, bear is really good. Smoked bear. So I, mm-hmm. mountain lion meat is amazing. Right. I've, I've had mountain lion meat. A buddy of mine have, have harvested one, and it's actually super, super good. Like a super sweet white pork, basically. Um, really? I, I, yeah, it's a white meat, I, a sweet meat. I like it. Um, uh, I like bear. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of guys don't like bear because it's kind of musky, mm-hmm. but – as long as the fat is rendered right and stuff, I, I like it. Yeah. Um, I like it in stew and chili and all that. Um, my personal number one favorite meat is actually pronghorn. Really? Um, I like elk. Elk is good, but pronghorn is my number one. I think it's amazing. And it gets a bad rap because you have with pronghorn more so than any other animal, you have to get it cold and off the bone super fast. Because if you don't, it absorbs the flavor of the sage and everything that's out there. Yeah. And it tastes really gamey, which is why people go, oh, it's trash meat. I don't like it. And I'm like, you just haven't had it correctly because right. it's, it's, to me, it's the best. I see. How do you prepare yours? Hmm. Uh, medium rare. I just do it medium rare, little cutlets in a, in a cast iron. Nice. Um, you can also do it fried like, like chicken fried steak. Yeah. I like it that way too. Um, and what's funny is, is the people in Col- like the ranchers in Colorado, they treat pronghorn like we treat pigs here like they're like trash animals to them almost really up there that's crazy and it's like it's so weird to me like like i i've got access now where every year um i pay this cattle rancher that's out in southern colorado that's got like 20 or 30 places leased for his cows that are just all farmland and grassland and prairie and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um i pay him like 400 bucks to have access. And then I can just drive around all the thousands of acres and hunt pronghorn on it. And like to him, it's like you're to him. It's like, you're paying me to go shoot one of those things. And I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll continue to do you it. know, but you know, like, and I will continue to do it every year. Like, don't worry, I'll be here next year. You know? Um, but at the same time, it's like people come to Texas and pay to hunt pigs. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, I, I was like, so I understand it's just something different. Right, right. Um, and they don't really have a use. They don't really have a use for them because they are a big nuisance. Like they dig under the fences and they eat all the alfalfa fields. And like they are a nuisance up there to a lot of people. I, I think they're super cool, but, you know, whatever. I get it. Yeah, I've, I've never seen one, but I've always wanted to see one. And, you know, I've always wanted to hunt one, too. There's a lot of animals out there that I've seen that I've wanted to hunt also. Like there's a few ranches out uh, Central Texas area, I think Wimberley, heading out towards Wimberley where they got bison mm-hmm. and some scimitar horned orcs and stuff like that. And it's like, ah, oh, I wish mm-hmm. I could freaking hunt one of those. I've never hunted an orcs. I've, I've shot several bison, mm-hmm. but they were like on our ranch. We I grew up with us having bison on our ranch as a kid. Uh-huh. So to me, they're like cows, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, but I do want to go on like a, there are a couple herds of bison left that are like truly wild, like original mm-hmm. herds of bison in, in North America. Yeah. And I would like to draw one of those tags and go do like an archery, like real wild bison hunt. Yeah. Um, it's super hard to get the tag for, but I'd like to do it someday. It'd be fun. Dude, heck yeah. That'd be sick. So I hear you say archery a lot. Sorry. Is that like your, like, your main weapon of choice, I guess, or you just more of like an opportunistic, like whatever happens kind of thing, or do you have a preference at all? Um, I, I definitely like 
to go hunt archery more than rifle. I just, it's just more, to me, it's just more fun because you can get close to them. There's more strategy involved. You get to hunt before all the rifle hunters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's also opportunistic. Like I want to go hunting before all the rifle hunters go hunting, you know? So I get it. Mm -hmm. That being said, I've killed a deer with a rifle every year after archery season. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm not against it. Like I'll hunt all, I'll hunt all archery season with a bow and then come rifle season, I'll go pick up the rifle and go sit in a deer stand and shoot a deer. Um, yeah, it's just, sure. it's just easier, right? Like there's been, there's been particular bucks, like a couple of these that I hunted all archery season and never got a shot at, but saw 40 times mm-hmm. and then went out the first day of opening day with a rifle and went, Oh, there he is. Boom. Done. You know? Yeah. So yeah. like a, a, after a while it got kind of not boring, but kind of like, meh after a while just because yeah. it, it it took the it took the strategy and the difficulty out of it yeah um after a while right um yeah. but i still do i mean i still enjoy it like i still like going rifle hunting i do um my mule deer tags every year are, are rifle tags mm-hmm. that i get um and i enjoy that but it's a little bit more of a you're you're still hiking mountains. You're still spotting spotting scopes. You're still shooting at probably a longer range, four or five, six hundred yards, yeah. that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. um, man, there's nothing like getting real close. I mean, you you know, you shot a deer with a bow. Like there's nothing like getting real close <laughs> it, to a deer with a bow and shooting it. it. It's it's and that's what I was kind of and that's why I was curious because I've I have a lot of friends who they I mean they I mean they do both archery, rifle, whatever. Uh, they just like they just like to go hunting. Whatever gets them in the field, that's kind of their thing. But if they have a preference. They, a lot of them will choose archery just for, I mean, for the reasons you, you said. Like they have to had to pick one or the other. Mm. Probably like nine times out of ten, they're going to pick up the bow. And that's kind of how I feel. Like after shooting my first deer with with the with the bow, man, it's just if I have to choose between the two, I'm going to pick a bow every time. Yeah, and I don't, I can't explain it. I don't know if you can. I can't explain the feeling you get. But when you shoot when you shoot a deer with a bow, it's just like right there, and it all comes together. It's just like. I'm doing this forever. And then you just never want to go back. I, I would think probably because it's more of a challenge. So it's more rewarding. Yeah. It's, you definitely feel more rewarded. Um, I, I know that my next goal is to shoot a bull elk with a recurve. That's my next year's goal. Damn. So I'm going to take the whole year. I'm going to learn to shoot a recurve and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to hunt the whole season with the recurve because if I get mad, I'm going to take the compound bow out. But but I am I am going to at least the first week of the season hunt solely with the recurve. See if I can get it done. That's my that's my goal for next year. Hell yeah, dude, that'd be sick. There's a guy up here in Arkansas that uh, he is an avid bow hunter and he hunts a lot with a recurve. And he already said that he'd be on the podcast, but he's on a month long elk hunt right now. So whenever he gets done with that, hopefully we'll get him mm-hmm. on and. uh Maybe I could shoot him your way and maybe you can, you know, bounce some questions off him because dude is freaking. <laughs> I can get some ideas from him. <laughs> yeah. He has multiple state records. What state is he hunting elk? Arkansas. In the northern part of the state, there's um, small herds of, of elk and he pulled a cow tag this year. So. Oh, nice. It's, nice. it's, it's Arkansas and Kentucky are the two places that have elk, right? Yes. That's, and as I say, weird. I think those are the only I didn't two know states. That Arkansas had elk until me and Jose went up to the Buffalo, Buffalo National River and saw the elk crossing mm-hmm. signs and I was just like, did they like run out of white tail signs? Like what the hell is there's that not, there's not elk here. Yeah, and so I looked up and I was like, right. oh, shit, there's elk here. <laughs> it's probably really hard to draw a tag though, I bet. Oh yeah, this dude's been an avid hunter like for years and years and years and years and years and he drew this tag this year. I don't know if it's his first one or not, but uh yeah, he seemed pretty excited to go. So yep. 
I've put in for the Kentucky one every year the last few years, but I haven't I haven't drawn it. Dude, so speaking of tags, is there a like a dream tag of yours, John, that you just like hope to God like one day you get to pull that and hunt that? So my number one tag in the United States is a bighorn sheep tag in the Rockies. So I want to nice. go hunt Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep with a bow with a bow in the Rockies. The success rate uh, year over year is one percent. Oh wow! On the tag. Wow. Um, and in the last in the last like three years, there's been a couple rams taken. My hunting partner has been the guide on both of them. Oh wow! So. Really? I'm very lucky to know him. He's like, he's like, you draw the tag, we're going. I'm like, cool. Um, and so I, you have to, the way Colorado works with that tag is you have to apply for three years in a row and there's, you have zero chance to draw it for the first three years. Mm-hmm. After the first three years, you get entered into a lottery to draw the tag. And it's a once in a lifetime tag. So you can only draw the tag once in your whole life. Oh, wow. Um, and so this year is actually my first year. No, sorry, my second year to where I'm actually eligible to get the tag. Um, this will be my fifth year applying. So we'll see. I know guys that got it on their third year, but I also know guys that applied for 20 years and never drew yeah. it. You know, it's a lottery. So, um, but that's my number one is I really want to kill a world class Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep with a bow at 14,000 feet on a rock face that took, you know, like I, like I want to go do it. Um, I just think it would be super, super cool. And they're just awesome. I mean, they live on a rock face at 14,000 feet and they walk around on like little ledges that are this wide and it's just right. crazy. So, um, you know, that's, that's like my number one, like in, I guess in the United States or like, as we would say it, um, as I said, the other one's like a grizzly bear with a bow, yeah. like, uh, in Alaska, I really want to do that. Um, as far as that, like I've never been like crazy about Africa or anything like that. Like I'll go, you know, like I'm sure at some point I'll be like, let's go and I'll go and I'll go shoot kudu and I'll go shoot whatever. And it'll be fun. But for, for some reason for me, like the North American big game animals, like in Alaska and Colorado and Wyoming and all that have just been like, that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, that might that might change, you know. Once I once I harvest everything in North America that I want to harvest, then like I may start going to like, you know, I don't know, the Middle East and killing those crazy goats they have in the mountains <laughs> and whatever else. But um, but in, for me, until I kill all the major big game animals of North America, I don't really have an interest to like really go to Africa or go somewhere else and, and do it. I mean. I will if somebody says, hey, we're going to go do it, but yeah. it's not on my list. You know what I mean? I see. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is uh, when it comes to fishing and stuff, like I want to go and catch everything that's not here. So I'm kind of the opposite in terms of that. Right. <laughs> What's your dream fishing trip? What do you want to catch? Hmm. There's a bunch of them, but I would say probably a rooster fish over in like Costa Rica or something like that. Um, there's just, I don't know. There's just something exotic about stuff that would take miles to get to and i don't have hardly any access to and just knowing the amount of work that it's going to take to get to a location and be successful to harvest said fish on a fly line because i mean I, i'm i'm not saying i'm fly or die but i'm damn near fly or die it's very rare that i pick up conventional right. you know spinning gear or bait caster so um i think it's more of a challenge thing in in terms of that um mm-hmm. which yeah. i think is kind of like my deal with hunting right now like 
I'm, I'm not that much of an experienced hunter, but I want to get out and do it. And I think that's the allure is it's a challenge for me. It's something new. It's something different. And in turn is going to be more rewarding just because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And if I were to somehow get it to happen and be successful at it, I think it's a hell of a lot more rewarding than something that I can easily attain. You know, the one thing I would add to that is there is something to be said for going out and learning to do it yourself rather mm-hmm. than getting other people to teach you or take you to do it. Because I promise you, you'll learn way more having to go do it by yourself yep. and figure it out than you will if somebody holds your hand and takes you. Right. And I, I, I have, you know, I shouldn't say buddies. I've got friendly acquaintances. They get kind of upset with me sometimes in, during hunting season because they want me to take them. Yeah. And I'm like, if I take you, you'll probably kill something because I've done the legwork, right? Yeah. But it'll be doing you a disservice because you're not going to learn. Yeah. And then I'm not always going to be here and you're never going to kill anything if you don't learn. Exactly. And so a lot of times I make, I make buddies that want, they're like, Hey, let me tag along on your elk hunt. And I'm like, do it for two years on your own and then I'll take you. right or whatever, you know, I'll tell them different stuff. And sometimes they get mad and sometimes they do it. But I, I, in the long run, it's the same thing. Like I'm, doing them a disservice if you just hand it to exactly. them because then they'll never they'll never learn oh, it's the old adage you can give a man a fish he'll eat for a day you teach a man a fish he'll eat for a lifetime you know <laughs> yeah yeah and you just got to do it i mean no one knew less than me when i started doing it like i didn't grow up in a hunting family you know so i literally woke up one day when i was like 16 or 17 and was like i think that's what i'm gonna do and then just from then on it was just that's what i did but um I, I learned more because I just got dropped off at the ranch with a 22 and was like, go kill stuff right. <laughs> or whatever, you know? <laughs> and then it became less, then it became, well, it became less of, as I got older, it became less about killing stuff and more about, you know, just cool experiences. Yeah. Like being there with my best friends or being like, like Royce McCabe is my best friend. Me and him have shared some really cool experiences on the mountains or wherever, all over the world together. Yeah. And like, you can't, you can't buy that. You know, exactly. like me and him might be 70 years old and we'll be talking about the time that the bear charged us on the mountain. We were 18 or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And and I I think a lot of people miss out on getting to experience some of that stuff because mm-hmm. they're too caught up in what's going on in the day to day lives. They don't make time to go have some of those experiences and you only get one life. Yeah. Everybody's going to die. Yep. You know what I mean? So. If it's something you want to do, go do it. Or at least try to go do it. If, you, if you're not successful, who cares? At least you did more than 95% of people because most of the people didn't even try to go do it. Exactly. And it, it frustrates me when people – like I'll get Instagram messages, right, where people will be like, dude, you're living my dream. Like I just wish I could ever do that one day. And I'm like, do it. You can. Yeah. Like you can. <laughs> you know, I promise you, you can. You just got to – you just got to go do it. Yeah. And, and it's tough to watch people and know that some people are never going to experience like being on a mountain at 14,000 feet and seeing the sunrise. Yeah. And it's just, just even that. And then all of a sudden there's a bugle and it's like, that's the coolest thing in the world. But most people don't even know that exists yep. or whatever. Maybe, you know, for you, it might be like catching the perfect fish on a, on a fly rod at first light, mm-hmm. or I don't know what, I don't know what it is for you. It's different for everyone. Yeah. But it's sad that some people live in a concrete box in downtown Austin their whole life and never even see anything that's out there in the world to go experience. And 
Yep. I think people are missing and out. They think running on Town Lake is an experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I mean for some it is. And know? and for and for them yeah. it is. Yeah, and I, I understand that. I'm I'm not saying everybody needs to go, you know, camp for a month in Alaska and hunt a grizzly bear with a spear. Right. I'm not saying that's what you have to do, <laughs> you know. But but there is more to the world than work and cars and businesses and downtown and you know, there's more out there and are you really going to be that happy when you die if you didn't go do what you wanted to do? Exactly. I encourage people to go live life a little bit because life's too short, you know? Absolutely. Damn, John, I feel like you're talking to me right now, bro. <laughs> I, I mean, it, I, it's, it, it, it's just one of the things I'm passionate about, man. I, I am passionate about people, it, whatever their goal, whatever their goals are and whatever things they dream of doing in life to at least try to do it. that's all I want people to do is try to go do the thing they want to do. You know, if if it's catching a rooster fish in Costa Rica, figure out how to go to Costa Rica and catch a rooster fish. You know, like it may not be next week. It may be next year. It may be five years, but like figure, like do it, you know, because you could die in a car wreck tomorrow. I could die in a car wreck tomorrow. Like I know that if I don't die tomorrow, I at least spent the last seven or eight years trying to do everything I ever dreamed of doing. Yeah. And I failed at a bunch of it, right? But at least I tried to do it and I can say that I tried. Right. And I, I just, that would be like the one message that I would tell anybody that I talk to is, is to at least try to follow your dreams. As cliche as that sounds, like for outdoorsmen, I think it's really important to have goals and have dreams and then actually try to do them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's kind of funny. I was at a, this event like two weeks ago and this, uh, this woman and her husband, they were talking to me about their fishing trips that they've been on. They went to Florida. They did all this stuff. They were catching like tarpon in the keys and everything. I was like, damn, like I know a couple of people in Florida. They've been, t- they've been trying to get me to go. I just haven't gone because of this or that. They're like, look, you're never, you're just never going to have the time. You're just never going to have the money. That's just how life is. It's one or the mm-hmm. other. Forget about that. You can make more money. You can never mm-hmm. get back the time. Just do it. Just yeah. go for it. Just do it. Don't even think about it. Just do it. Because there's going to come a time where you're going to sit there and you're going to be thinking about all the stuff you shouldn't have done but never got to mm-hmm. do. And man, like after that conversation, I started really thinking about it. And I was like, Jesus, dude. Like that's – I mean she's right. I've been saying I've been wanting to do all this stuff for years and I just I just, I just, just never have. I never put forth that effort. And every year I get a little bit older. Every year, you know, there's some time that <laughs> I'm right there with you. The stuff I've been wanting to do and <laughs> – and it's just like, damn, man, it's kind of funny we're having that, that you were able to join us today because literally last week I texted Russell. I was like, dude, in this one state, we can hunt, we can be hunting elk next year. We just, I mean, there's over the counter tags. We can do this. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, now that we like, we like you're on and, and I mean, you're speaking experience, like, or walking proof of, of what it can, like, you can do it. Anybody can do it, you know, who's Anybody never can done do it, it before. Anybody so, can do it. That's never so done it's just before. like, dude, this is, so I feel like, I feel like this is just like, like a, uh, like a sign to screw this shit, man. <laughs> Let's just go do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not saying just quit your job and just, you know, don't be smart, but I am oh, saying yeah. that you're, you're never going to, you know, but you're, you're never going to be all that upset that you bought that $400 plane ticket to go fishing and, or that you bought that tag and spent a week walking around the woods. Right whether you killed an elk or not or whatever, whatever it is for you, you know? Um, but like don't eat out for a month. 
There's your 400 bucks. Exactly. There you go. Now you got the, you know, you know, you know I, that's what I tell people. They're like, well, I have a budget and I've got kids and I've got a wife and I've got all these. And I'm like, I get it. I'm, I'm not stupid. You know, I understand, but I promise you, like, if you look at like, not you directly, I'm just anybody, right. If they, if they look at their spending, <laughs> they can find the, the $400 or the $300 or the $500. If they, it might take them a month. It might take them six months. It might take them a year to save up. Yeah. But I promise like this stuff is so accessible and it's really not that expensive. Like I'm like, I'm not staying in hotels. I'm just throwing a bedroll out next to the truck on public land. Like yeah. it does not cost me a whole lot of money to be able to go do this stuff. Yeah. You know, the most expensive part is the tags. And that's where people, I think they, they look at TV or YouTube or whatever. And they're like, Oh, it's going to take $15,000 to go kill this elk or go do whatever. And I'm like, no, it's will take like, 400 bucks in gas and a tag that you can buy. Like, and uh, where I killed, where I killed my bull last year is there, there's a big ranch right there. It's um, mm-hmm. it's pretty famous for elk hunting mm-hmm. um, in Colorado. Um, they kill a lot of really big bulls um, and they're 86,000 acres oh, wow. and they border, they border the forest and you can hunt the forest right above the ranch. If you're willing to walk and they charge, I think this year it's $25,000 a bull oh, wow. to shoot a bull elk Jeez. on the ranch. I parked the truck, walked a couple miles around, got on the forest above their ranch, called a $25,000 bull out of their ranch, across the fence, onto the forest, and shot him for 900 bucks. <laughs> and I'm like, anybody can do what I just did, but people don't. It, they got this idea in their head that it's like crazy expensive or just got to go try. Yeah. Get out there and fail a little bit. You'll yeah. learn. Yeah. You'll learn. I promise you, you'll learn, you know, be safe, you know, take some precautions, have a good GPS unit and, you know, don't be stupid. Like I was my first year. <laughs> um, but you know, cause I was, I'll admit it, but it's really hard for me every year. Um, cause I want to help people. Mm-hmm. I do like, I want people to go do this and experience this. And I, I touched on it before, but just to reiterate, like I, I get Instagram DMs and all sorts of stuff every year before hunting season. A lot of times from guys that I just don't, I don't know super well, mm-hmm. right? They're just kind of acquaintances or they know me through somebody else or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and they're asking to tag along on the hunt or they're asking to do this or they want me to send them a spot or whatever. And I'm just like, I, I can't, I can't do it mostly because some of the spots aren't mine mm-hmm. or because they're not realistically, they're not capable their first year of going into this spot or doing that or whatever. But it, it, when I, they get upset with me when it, cause it feels like I'm telling them no, when really I'm telling them go do it, but go do it on your own first. Yeah. And you know, I've got a couple, I've got a guy that's upset with me right now. Um, that's a friend of a friend because he just messaged me like directly and was like, Hey, I want to go on your elk hunt with you next year. What are the dates you're going to go? I'll tag along. And I'm kind of like, you, you can't go with me next year, man, yeah. but I'll, you know, give you some advice on where to go. You know, it gets kind of awkward, but I, I try. Well, that seems kind of like he's being kind of demanding, <laughs> like just assuming he's invited. Yeah, that, was a, that was a bit forward. <laughs> well, and I, 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 I kind of how I felt too, but I, I also, he was a friend of a friend. Yeah. So I was trying not to ruffle the feathers of anybody, yeah. you know, um, but it gets it gets tricky sometimes on that. I can um, imagine. But, but I, I mean, I do help, like 
I pick and choose people every year where like people I know that are really willing to put in the work or really like putting an effort or doing certain things that need just a little bit of help that mm-hmm. are like, Hey, you know, in this area, where do you think I should, I should hunt? And I can look at the map and go, Hey, listen, like elk are always going to bed on the Northeast face in the middle of the day. So this is a Northeast face that has good cover. There's water in this Canyon. I would hunt right there. Yeah. I'm not telling them usually that I've been right there and I know there's elk, even though I have, <laughs> but I'm usually giving them, you know, I'm usually giving them advice to where I'm putting them into position to be successful. Yeah. But until people have done it, they can't, I, I can't just hand it to them because then they'll never, they'll never learn it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one thing with, uh, with here is that I just need to get out. And we, we said this last podcast, so it's probably going to sound redundant for those that always listen. And, uh, just this conversation we just had just kind of definitely hit it on the head. Like, I just need to get my ass out there and do it. Like quit making excuses. I live 15 minutes from the damn national forest. Just to get my ass out there and do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can drive 15 minutes, go deer hunting. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you took, you know, you took your gun or a bow or whatever for a walk in the woods for a couple hours. Like what? Yeah. What did it hurt? Exactly. And it's just peaceful to get out there anyway. So <laughs> then once you get one, you're going to be like, now I'm doing it every week. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Which, which is what happened. I mean, you know, that that's, Exactly. And I, I'd say that's probably what would happen with me because I have uh, I have an addictive personality. So if I get into something that I like, like I just run with it. And that's kind of how it happened with fly fishing. Like Jose handed me a fly rod and said, hey, try this because he was catching fish and I wasn't. And then, I mean, look at me now. I got like a pile of 18 fishing rods over here. And, you know, we run a podcast on fly fishing. <laughs> it's like it was, uh, I just ran with it. And before I forget, before I forget, because I've got ADD, I'm going to forget. Uh, remind me to drop you guys a pin mm-hmm. on I've got some pins on a couple high mountain lakes in Colorado uh-huh. that are a little bit of a hike to get to. But if you take a fly rod up there, you will catch the crap out of some beautiful trout mm-hmm. that nobody ever fishes. Nobody gets to them. And remind me to send you the, a pin on them. Okay. And you guys, if nothing else in the summer, plan a trip and take it like three days, four days and just go fishing. I promise you, you'll be catching trout that are 25, 30 inch trout. Hell yeah. All day. I'll take you up on that. I love Colorado. Dude, that sounds like a good sound to me. I Hell went to yeah. Colorado for the first time this January and uh, freaking fell in love. I went to Breckenridge and then drove to Vail and mm. just, I mean, freaking gorgeous part of the country. And I took my kids and it was so it was just me and my two daughters and uh, did them, you know, took them out there and tried to do the whole skiing thing that didn't really go too well with a five-year-old and a 13-year-old <laughs> kids, skiing is hard with kids yeah <laughs> when i don't know how to do it in the first right. place so and we we i tried to book lessons too late and it was it was a nightmare and i got covid it was a, it was a whole thing but nonetheless it was the whole gorgeous thing, yeah. and uh i definitely plan mm-hmm. on making a trip back so hopefully uh be able to get to do some fishing i got to fish for eight minutes <laughs> and it was on a whole eight minutes, whole eight minutes. <laughs> and um it was while my five-year-old was playing in the snow for a little bit uh, my 13 year old was watching her play in the snow for a little bit and I didn't have waiters. Right. We literally just went and ate at an Italian restaurant and I looked out the uh, window and I was like, Oh shit, there's water there. And then I was like, Oh shit, there's a fly shop there. And so I went and talked and they said, yeah, here, throw this and you might, you know, be able to catch something out there. I said, all right. And then of course yeah, it's right. cold dad. So didn't really get to go, but um, yeah, so I definitely oh, wow. make a trip back up there, <laughs> but you had uh, mentioned earlier that you were a business owner. So, uh, what, what's up with that? What kind of business do you own? Uh, we own a real estate development and construction company. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, a lot of what we're doing is we're buying 
we're buying lots and pieces of property. Um, and we're either building single family homes on them or duplexes, stuff like that. Um, we also, uh, take some higher end, um, private remodels. Um, so right now we've got, uh, we've got a remodel that's going on in uh, Arizona. That's the house is 13,000 square feet and it's a multi, multi, multi million dollar house. Um, so we've got a big project going on there. We've got several development stuff going on in Colorado. Um, we've done a bunch of stuff here in Texas and Belton and San Antonio and Austin and whatever. Um, and my hunting partner that I do on my hunt with, he's my business partner Mm -hmm. in all of that. Um, so we, we kind of work really hard January to August and then August to January hunt a bunch and do a little (laughs) bit of work here and there. But, um, we've, we've got a bunch of stuff in the works. Um, we just purchased some, some pieces of property in Colorado, um, that we're going to be developing, um, probably going to look at put some multifamily stuff in. We're going to put a gas station in actually on one of these pieces of property. Um, we've got some stuff in the works. Um, I, it all kind of came about naturally. Um, and it's been really awesome for me because it's given me the time and the freedom to go do what I love to do a lot. Um, I can work really hard when it's time to go make money Mm -hmm. and I can go hunt really hard when it's time to go hunt, you know? Um, and, and that's been cool. That's, that was kind of always my dream to be able to, from the time I was probably 20 on that my, my dream was like to be able to have the time to hunt every season for every critter that I wanted to hunt and not have to like ask my boss for a week off of work or whatever it may be. Right. Yeah. Um, I understand that's not the norm. Yeah. Right. Like I understand that I am incredibly blessed and incredibly lucky to be able to do that. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without my parents who were super, super supportive early on Mm -hmm. when in my early twenties, I went, Hey, by the way, I'm going to sell my, at that point I owned part of a commercial painting company Mm -hmm. in Austin. Um, and I like one day was like, I'm going to sell it. (laughs) And so I was without a plan was just like, I'm done, sold it, quit my job, did everything. And then uh, luckily from there, I was blessed with some opportunities and went from there. But, um, yeah, that was not a smart decision. I don't recommend just quitting your job and selling your company um, <laughs> with, with no plan. Um, just, just because it worked out for me doesn't mean it works out all the time. But um, but several years later, it's all kind of come full circle. And I, I honestly can say, like, I wouldn't trade the life that anybody else is living for the life I'm living now. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Sound of true happiness. Heck yeah. Yeah, yeah. really. I did. I mean, it, I mean, well, I, besides I would like to have a wife, right. having like a really cool <laughs> wife would be fun. You know, um, the problem is, is I've discovered that I have to kind of be home and like talk to them and pay attention to them and yeah. like see them every once in a while. They kind of like that. Um, and yeah, they like that. I, I've learned that they like that. And, uh, the problem is, is for like the last two years, I've just basically just not been here for more than like a week at a time. Right. Um, so I'm probably going to have to sacrifice a little bit of time at some point to keep a woman happy, but that's all right. I'll accept it. But what if a woman like loves traveling and would go with you to your location, let you do your hunt and she does her own thing at the same region? You know, that, that would be the dream, wouldn't it? Oh, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. If she wants to come, she can come. The problem I've discovered is a lot of girls, I'll be honest. A lot of girls have said, Oh, I want to go with you. I'll go. And I'm like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And then like, I'll take them. And then like 30 minutes in, they're like, 
well, this is boring or I'm tired or yeah. it's cold or I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yep. well, we got 30 more days of this. So, or whatever, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so I'm not saying I won't take them. I will. It'd be awesome. If I found a woman that like loved everything I love to do and wanted to go with me and do that stuff, like, heck yeah, man, let's do it. Um, that's just feeling far between. I just, I, I just, I just haven't, I just haven't been around enough really, right. you know? That's just reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm aware, I'm aware of that. Like I'm not, I'm not blind to the fact that I have to be around to give them attention for it to work. And I just haven't been. Yeah. Cause I mean, this week is the first week. Well, like here's, here's my last five months. I went to the Arizona project in May. I stayed at the Arizona project all May, all June, all July. I, I came home the second week of August. I was home for 10 days we went on a cropland thermal pig hunt and we did a bunch of stuff. Then I went to Colorado on August 25th, hunted pronghorn the rest of the month. Then I hunted elk until like six days ago. Mm-hmm. And then I drove home and I've been home for a week. And now Sunday or Saturday, I'm going to drive to Illinois <laughs> and deer hunt for, uh, for 10 days. And then I'm going to drive from Illinois to Colorado from Colorado to Wyoming for a wedding then from Wyoming, I'm going to drive to Arizona to go back to the Arizona project, be at that project for two weeks, back to Colorado for the rifle elk season. I'm taking a couple buddies. You know, um, Bobby Petmecki yeah, went to yeah. high school with us. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm taking him and Coach Laney. Really? Uh, oh, on an, Michael on a, Laney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, on, a, on a rifle elk hunt um, during second rifle season this year. So looking forward to that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's my, like, that's my schedule. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I'm just never here. Um, but yeah, I forgot that you guys would know coach Lane. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a friend of mine now. Um, he's got on several deer hunts with us and stuff like that. And, um, he wanted to just to tag along on an elk hunt. He doesn't want to hunt. He just wants to tag along. And, um, Bobby's the one that got me the contract, uh-huh. uh, on the Arizona project. Yeah. Um, basically the, the person he works for, um, it's their house. And so he got me that contract for that job. And he was like, I was like, Hey, like, I'm going to give you a cut of money, whatever. He was like, nah, I want to go on an elk hunt. Take me to kill an elk and we'll call it good. I was like, deal. No worries, man. Let's do it. So, um, looking forward to that. It'll be fun. And that's freaking I've been, awesome. I've been messing with, I've been messing with coach Laney a little bit, telling him that he's getting fat and old and he better shape up before he comes out there and meets me. But dude, you've been um, talking about people that right. I haven't thought about in freaking years, Royce and Bobby, coach dude, Laney. I, I remember when we were in middle school, yeah. me and Royce would get so pissed off if a teacher or somebody else would call him <laughs> Russell or call me Royce. It was just like, that's not me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the other one. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy, yeah. man. I ain't thought about that. And, and I mean, Coach Laney lives Coach Laney lives five minutes down the road from oh, no me shit. right here. So yeah, I see him I see him all the time. Um and then Royce lives one mile away, right down the road the other way. Yep. He's married with two kids, married with two kids now. Him and Jessica are married, thing. right? Yep. Him and Jessica, yep. And they had their second kid uh last year. And he's all, he's excited. He's being a dad, yeah. you know, so he's, he's having a good time. That's awesome. Um, but the really cool thing is Jessica still lets him get out mm-hmm. and go do hunting and fishing and stuff. And every year, our, our thing is every year he spends the first 10 days of September hunting elk with him. That's awesome. So he takes the first 10 that's days of awesome. September. That's his, that's his time to get away. And me and him just go in the mountains and we hunt elk for two weeks. And that's always our, that's kind of our, you know, he's basically my brother. A lot of people don't know our childhood and all that kind of stuff. Uh But 
we were ba- he's basically my brother. Like we were raised as siblings pretty much. He lived at my house most of the time, um, in, in middle school and high school. Yeah. And then we lived together for like six years after college. Oh no. Shit. So, uh, we, we, yeah. Um, uh, well, he lived, we, we lived together all through college mm-hmm. and then he lived with me for the two years after college as roommates until he met Jessica and then she stole him from me (laughs) and now he's gone, but it's fine. I let her, I let her have him after a brief fight, but it's fine. Well, she's feisty. I don't know if I'd want to get in a fight with her. (laughs) Oh, she's feisty. Oh, trust me. Somebody's going to keep Royce in line. He's got an attitude, (laughs) you know? Oh, that's freaking awesome, man. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know that y'all were that good of friends. Didn't y'all play tennis together in high school? Yeah, uh, he played on the tennis team when I was in high school yeah. with me, yeah. We used to we used to get in trouble a lot because <laughs> we would just make each other do dumb stuff. Yeah. But, oh well, it was fine. That's awesome. I recently tried picking up tennis, and my goodness, I didn't realize that was, I mean, because so my girlfriend is eight years younger than I am, and she runs marathons. So she's in by far better shape than I am. Right. And she's like, let's go play she's tennis. She's in great shape, yeah. Yeah, and so we go play tennis, and... I would say I'm probably a little more skilled than her at tennis, um, but in terms of just athletic, athletic, we could say, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in terms of stamina, like, so we played 18 matches one day, and I won 11 of those 18 matches. Um, so I'd say, you know, I, obviously I won more than half of them, but I won, I think, the first nine, <laughs> and then it was just I lost one, then <laughs> right. I won one, got tired. and then she just won all. I mean, oh my god, she runs me all over that freaking court, and I'm over here dying, and she's just like, I'll chip her like nothing happened, not <laughs> even she's breaking like a sweat. She's around, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like I'm sweating so much, my shorts are soaked. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I remember those days. I. I, I I don't know if you guys know I I after high school I played tennis in college for the for the four oh, years I, didn't I know went that. on scholarship to play I, yeah, I, yeah I didn't know that I, I ended up um that's I got a full ride to college to play tennis um after high school and I played for the four years and I was in the best shape of my life like and then now I'm like I go out there and I, I still go play with people every once in a while mm-hmm. like I, I'm still friends with Desiree Kittle we'll go hit we'll go hit her once in a while and I'm still friends with a couple people and I'm like dying and i'm like i used to be able to do this for like six hours a day and like now like 10 minutes in i'm like i'm like drenched in sweat and dying and that's part of time marches on man we're getting older i'm i'm also old i'm also old now so you know i just i'm i'm 30 now everything hurts my knees hurt i'm turning 31 next month or two months from now like it's just it's rough yeah I gotta take. I gotta take one in November. (laughs) I gotta take Tylenol these days. (laughs) Like what? What's Tylenol? I've never had to take this before. I know. (laughs) What is happening to us? It's even worse. It's even worse on the mountain. Like I'm, we get off the mountain and I'm dying, dude. Like I'm laying on the ground. Like my whole body hurts and I don't want to move. Dude, I went mountain biking for the first time this past weekend and it about took me out. I was freaking dead i was dog tired I and mean, it was fun i've never done it before and so i mean i had a good time but got off the mountain i'm like <laughs> like wheezing for air face is bright red i was like oh my god i didn't think riding a bike would be that hard that's what that's what happens when you when you when you get old like when we yeah. were 21 do that stuff all day now i'm like I, now i get tired walking to the truck from the house like, right right Oh, well. I know exactly mm-hmm. how that goes. And I found my first gray hairs this week. So oh, right here hell. in the beard. So 
pretty hum- pretty humbling Shit, moment dude. for me. So, dude, I was funny those when I was twenty three. Get out of here, John. I get them on the side, and then I get a few on the back, and then I get them in my little chin fuzz. Actually, I found a bright red nope. hair in my chin fuzz the other day, and I was like, what "The hell is this thing?" And it was like bright red. You got to keep that one, right? Well, my girlfriend pulled it. Yeah, you can't cut that one out. <laughs> oh, come on now. Right. Taking the only good thing that ever happened to me is my red chin hair. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that around her. She'll right. get mad if you say that around her. Right. Well, now it's going to come in twice as thick. So maybe she did me a favor. Okay. Well, now we're going to have two of them. So it'll be all right. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, hell, we're coming up on an hour and a half here. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a great conversation. So it's about getting that time where we just start closing it out. Uh, you know, we really enjoy you coming on. It was, it was a blast. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we go ahead and start shutting her down? No, man, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, I'm super passionate about this stuff and I love talking about it. And I hope that, you know, some people get out there and do it because of our conversation today, you know? Hell, I think me and Jose are going to get out and do it because of our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys better get out and do it. I'm going yeah, <laughs> to hold you guys accountable. You guys have to get out and do it. You don't get a choice. <laughs> I'll take it. Hold me accountable. Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully this time next year we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about an L cut that we went on. Hopefully, Perfect. hopefully. Well, it's been a pleasure, man, and we really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if there's anything we could do to assist in, in your success out there, um, I mean, I'll be happy to help. And if you're ever in the Arkansas area, let me know. Maybe I'll come film something for you. We'll do, man. I appreciate you guys. We appreciate you. Good talking to you, John. And thank you all for listening to the end. If uh, if there's any questions, concerns, anything like that, feel free to hit us up. Uh, all of the links are going to be in the description for John's stuff and, of course, mine and Jose's. And uh, we appreciate you all listening to the end. We'll catch you all next time. This has been Wildlife Outdoors. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook at Wildlife Outdoors and on Instagram at wild.life.outdoors. Let's go live life on the wild side.